Have you ever wondered what a couple of butt-naked people talking to a snake and pyramids and floating boats and talking donkeys have to do with reading your Bible? That's right, this is the podcast where we talk the Bible uncensored. This podcast is re- it's called I Read My Bible for one main reason. We want you to insert yourself in the eye. That's right. We want you to confidently read your Bible, cross the hermeneutical bridge of thousands of years to the current day, and become a more confident, self-sustaining reader. Self-sustaining. Self-feeding. That's the word we're looking for. Self-feeding. We want you to be self-feeding Bible readers here in the 21st century. That's right. So we are talking about... Well... Right behind us, Genesis. Genesis EP1. That's right. We're finally uh, hopping into our groove here, and we're going to jump into the uh, Old Testament today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really important that we start in Genesis and in this interpretive journey because you know Genesis really sets the her interpretive foundation for the Bible as a whole. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, it sets the historic foundation uh, for the Old and New Testaments. Yeah. Um, Theological. Yeah. Um, Brad, why don't you just talk to us a little bit about how Genesis lays an interpretive foundation. Maybe talk to us about the hermeneutical circle. Absolutely, yes, the hermeneutical circle. So before we get into the jots and the tittles of Genesis, we'll get a bit into the nuts and bolts of biblical interpretation because that's what we love to do around here. Mm-hmm. So talking about the hermeneutical circle, uh, that's a reference to uh, something in the interpretation biz where it simply me- uh, means that the parts inform the whole and then at the same time, the whole informs the parts. Yeah. So as you're reading your Bible, uh, you want to take one little word and run with it. That's not respecting the whole. Uh, you need to fit every single word into its sentence, into its unit of thought, into yeah. its overall uh, context in a book or a letter or what have you. And then all the way to canonically in the whole of Scripture, the canon, uh, all the books we have in our Bible, uh, you want the whole to inform the parts and the parts to inform the Whole, yeah. Or circle. And so when we talk about that uh, in reference to the importance of Genesis, well, Genesis, it fits into uh, the context immediately of the Torah. Uh, if you're Hebraically minded or if you're like us, some Gentile boys uh, or girls or what have you, uh, you, uh, you would call that also the Pentateuch. It means the same thing. The yeah. first five books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Numbers. I did that right. Leviticus, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like... So like what I'm what I'm hearing from you here is that uh, you know the Bible is kind of like a series you know we wouldn't uh, jump yeah. into the middle of a series you know without having any foundation because then we wouldn't really know what's going on you know exactly and like like what is the Millennium Falcon and why is it so cool you know <laughs> or or why do we not want it to be blown up well you know because it's piloted by Han Solo you know <laughs> and it's the coolest Iconic. ship yeah Speak, so uh, speaking of Star Wars too right oh looking at how you know uh it looks like Yoda arranged the thing right you start four <laughs> five six and go one two three uh, yeah the Bible's not exactly uh you no. know Yoda up like that but it's also not arranged necessarily chrono- chronologically right yeah so when you talk about Genesis fitting into uh, the Pentateuch or the Torah, well, it also fits first, uh, then on another macro level into what we as Christians call the Old Testament, or you might call the Hebrew Bible. And that's even divided up uh, by content thematically, right? So you have the Torah, which means the law, the first five books of the Bible. You also then have the, uh, the prophets, the prophetic writings, and you also have 
what uh, in Hebrew is called the writings, right? So stuff like Psalms, the wisdom literature, yeah. uh, I believe. Uh, Kings the stuff and Chronicles, we like to go to more verse historical by books verse. are in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when you, yeah. Look, yeah, it's important to think in, in these terms, in terms of these structures, because not just they're not just arbitrary. They have a theological That's purpose right. in orienting us towards its content, right? Yeah, you know, just like in Star Wars, you know, these there's character developments, there's developments of, uh, mm. you know, this, we start learning about the force and how it works and, um, you know, this, this plot, like there's this plot where like the punchline is, you know, Luke, yeah. I am your father. Could you imagine that punchline without knowing the context? Well, can you imagine starting with number <laughs> one? It's like, why do I care about this little whiny right. kid on Tatooine? You know, oh, because I already know he's going to be Darth Vader, yeah. right? So, so to kind of this, I'm just going to bridge that into like some some things that we would see that we would um, we need to understand like how they're working like that, so that we can understand the significance when they show up along the way. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, we have what we call motifs. Mm-hmm. Um, these, uh, threads that are kind of, uh, they're, they're laced within the Bible in different books and they kind of build together and they connect throughout the way. And a lot of them actually work them, their way into the new Testament. So if we were to just parachute into, you know, uh, uh just, just say, you know, M- Matthew and Matthew's building on a motif that is developed throughout the old Testament, we wouldn't be able to understand the purpose of what he's saying or, you know, what he's aiming to theologically if we don't understand the motif he's using. Absolutely. Um, and we also have in the Old Testament um, our salvation story. Uh, you know, it begins there. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like this uh, story of, uh, you know, Darth Vader and Luke, without, again, without knowing the development prior, we wouldn't understand the punch of it, right? Um so we see we see motifs or these threads uh, theologically about you know our relationship with God and others, and that kind of begins in the Pentateuch as well. Yep. Um, our identity as image bearers begins in Genesis. Yep. Yeah, and the, then the etiology of sin, uh, the fall of humanity. Right? We don't want to talk about sin, do we? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that actually depends. Do you want to talk about the gospel? Because if yes. you do, the best news is for people who are... Yeah. Uh, sin will show sin. up in a motif throughout the uh, the whole Bible, just, you know, FYI. And that tension, right, set out Elephant from the, the, the beginning of Genesis between a holy, righteous God uh, and sinful humanity. How yeah. can they coexist? How can he still offer the mercy love? How can he continue to have covenantal relationships with them? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the... What I'm fi- what I've been finding in my Bible study reading lately, which I'm super excited when we get there, uh, whenever that be for learners or for people that were uh, you know in our audience, is the motif that is the Exodus, mm, big Un- one, big one, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it it just shows up so much in the New Testament and in Jesus' ministry. It really is one of those things where once you see the Exodus motif, you know that Exodus story and how it's pointing towards Jesus, it really opens up your eyes to the New Testament. Yeah, and that kind of factors into also the importance of Genesis when you're looking at it. Um, yeah. The different genres in, in involved in this literature, right? Yeah. Um, overarching, I think one of the, the most helpful ways to look at this uh, Pentateuchal literature in a broad sense is as instructive history, right? Mm-hmm. That means you have stuff like this, these motifs which serve typologically, which means uh, later on you see these motifs popping up and they get interpreted in new lights and whatnot. They uh, stand in to represent uh, future realities, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's not just 
some future person interpreting these wrongly or, or errantly or flippantly, but it's yeah. actually inbuilt into the uh, author, uh, like how these works were written mm -hmm. and, and given to people that they would be interpreted in light of future circumstances. It has to do with the historicity, the historical purposes yeah. of this writing. It was meant to be instructive history. Torah, you should know, uh, we often translate it as law. And for us yeah. Westerners, um, uh, sometimes we, we think, okay, this is so rigid. This is code. This is do this, don't do that, right? But mm, in another sense, and maybe a more appropriate sense, I know uh, Gordon Wenham would say, uh, you can interpret the word Torah as instruction. It's meant to be something that guides us in our lives and forms us on the inside, yeah. right? As we are drawn to God. So, yeah, maybe uh, uh, I think this would be a good point to actually just interject. And uh, why don't you introduce that that literal alliteration again? Um, you know what what you just mentioned about what I'm kind of leads into that head, heart, and hands. Yes, thing. that's really what uh, I mean. To be fair, you know, even growing up as a Christian, I'm like, you look at the Torah and you're like, oh my goodness, look at all these laws. And it just seems, it, it seems like it can get boggy, but when you really see what the intent is, yeah, uh, it's actually like, it's meant to bring life. Yeah, because <laughs> when we read historical uh, literature these days, we expect clear details, we expect chronology, we expect more of a report, yeah. right? An accurate report. Uh, more so objective than subjective, right? This is what happened. We don't want bias. We don't want opinion in it, right? When we're talking about history. But ancient Near Eastern history, and you can see it in the Bible, it has instructive purposes. It's not just supposed to be, you know, you're looking at some sterile report. Yeah. It's supposed to be something that actually gets applied to present listeners, future listeners, and it has something to say in their lives, something to do formationally. So yeah, talking about heads, hand, and heart, um, uh, 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 this instructive history, it also has a liturgical purpose. Yeah. What that means is it, it draws people into this grand drama. You know, this isn't something separate from you. It draws you in and into the relationship with God as he's revealed in this literature and into the worship of him. Yeah. Um, that'd be a good point to uh, just talk about. So, you know, this is a good bridge to say, you know, so how do we approach the Old Testament then? If it's, um, if we're inflicting meaning, we're going to make, you know, uh, some of the stuff that we see in the, in the law books, you know, this exhaustive, you know, list of do's and don'ts and, you know, like almost like a report, like you said, but if we ask ourselves really good questions, we might actually understand what's, you know, what the intended meaning is. Yeah. So for, you know, hermeneutically speaking, you know, when we're looking to interpret, um, some of the good questions that we should be asking ourselves is what kind of literature is the author using? You know, who's, who's his intended audience? Like, who's he speaking to here? Is it, is he talking to me here in the 21st century or is there a more immediate audience that he's dealing with? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, and, and when we do that, we'll find out that Genesis is not just, you know, or the, the Pentateuch, for example, is not just a, a historical document, um, you know, he's actually giving us a theology. He's, there's theology happening there. The, cr the chronologies that, uh, that are being employed are, are going beyond, you know, um, you know, this order of, of people, uh, some people interpret them as, you know, like a, they look at chronologies as, uh, you know, uh, descent, you know, when they try to add up the numbers and mm. try and see if it's, if it's giving us an age of the earth or, uh, you know, things such as that. Um, so, and then, and then we'll, if, you know, asking good questions, you know, we'll find out that, um, 
the author is using other genres to teach a theology. He's employing myth genre. Mm-hmm. Um, we should pause on that one because that's a big yeah. word, right? I have literally heard uh, people <laughs> preaching in a sermon at the top of their lungs, literally. Uh, you know, uh, the word myth doesn't show up in the Bible and, you know, like they, they denounce it. There's some uh, misunderstandings about that term, right? Because let's bring this back to the hermeneutical circle. Yeah. Why don't we do that? Because we've mentioned, uh, we've brought, we've expanded the the whole picture, the the big macro meta picture, yeah. the canon. But beyond that, uh, in the time of these ancient Israelites, the greater context, even beyond their own scriptural writings, was their world. And the people around them, they had theologies, they had a way of looking at it. There were pantheons of gods, all this, practices, rituals, temples, systems set up around that, right? So there's these worldviews in the ancient Near East, yeah. and the Bible actually interacts with them. So when we talk about myth, we're not just saying, you know, we're getting some dubious, false uh, thing uh, that doesn't correlate to history at all. Yeah. But what we're saying is there's a genre in the ancient Near East that was used because they had different concerns with their history and with what they were trying to say. Um, and that's one thing we have to be mindful of. We can't just take our own concerns as readers and then impose those onto the text and expect the text to speak to that. That's anachronistic. It's Jesus. It's a whole host of errors, right? Uh, <laughs> in that way, we're really posturing ourselves, wouldn't yeah. you say, Josh, to to stand over the text instead of to, to come under its authority, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and just to interject here, we're going to talk about it later. Um, we are, uh, one thing that comes up in interpreting uh, books these old is the, the use of words, right? Words, words and their meaning evolve constantly, especially in the world today. So try and read a KGB. Yeah. And so some people, when they hear the word myth, you know, red flag goes up and they're like, well, the Bible's not a myth, right? But the use of myth was a lot, or the understanding of the, of the type of literature is, has lost its meaning along the way. Yeah. We would say it's something that's, you know, fake and made up like a fairy tale, but that's not how, you know, the original, um, genre was, you know, seen. So exactly. Um, mind if I give us a practical example here? for it. So, because this is more our introduction to Genesis, but as we get into it in this series, you'll see stuff like this, but let's begin at the beginning where, uh, you know, God created the earth. There was the, the waters, the chaos, uh, the chaos that the spirit of God is hovering over, right? Well, when you look at the Babylonian creation myth, uh, you have the dragon chaos goddess yep. Tiamat, uh, goddess of waters. Yeah. Uh, she's conquered. Her carcass is uh, cut in half and out of that, the world is made. While in Genesis, uh, you have the waters that are divided, but well, where's Tiamat? Nowhere. There's no other goddess. There's no other uh, divine being, um, and no other deity. There's no conquest. God doesn't have to exert himself to try and conquer some equal or someone who might even be stronger than him. Uh, it's like a blow of silence, right? It's polemical. It's speaking against yep. the myths around them by, yes, incorporating certain mythological tones and illusions, but in a way that speaks against uh, the theologies that surround Israel in their context and also speaks for the sovereignty, the uh, uh, the omnipotence of God in this example, right? And you see stuff like that throughout. They interact with their world to speak against certain theological things and also to speak for the what is actually right and true. So when you uh, understand the myth and you read it in that light, it actually gives you a deeper, more profound, yeah. uh, r- richer reading of your scriptures. Yeah. Um, you know, and just, um, let's just take that into, uh, the three forms of literature that we talked about. And within, within that, um, and you're asking these questions, who's writing, who's the immediate audience, what are they trying to convey? 
that'll kind of give us this next uh, interpretive lens, which is um, is that Genesis is giving us, you know, it's laying down a foundation and preparations for a theocracy for Israel, right? Um, like the, orig- the original audience really is Israel, these Canaanites that God had brought out of Cana and separated them to become, you know, a people that would represent him on the earth that he was going to work through, right? Um, and it, within, within that, uh, theocracy, you know, or the, this instruction that's moving to the, uh, to this theocracy, the author in Genesis, you know, the early books of Genesis is, is providing us with primitive conditions of the earth. And he's talking about, you know, the fall of man, uh, the, the relationship that a man was in, uh, with God, or maybe, maybe not in <laughs> with God, as we like to say, he fell out of relationship with uh, man. Um, so, and it's out of that story that we see this development starting, um, you know, this storyline of patriarchs, you know, uh, before and after the flood. And then we see this, this use of Adam. Um, we're going to talk a lot about how, uh, in, and we talked about it earlier, about how, um, sometimes authors are bringing up points of scripture to, 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 uh, use them for something. And it's not wrong. Um, there's archetypes in scripture, right? We have Adam and then we have Noah as this second Adam. And then Jesus is also uh, second Adam, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No so sense, yeah. yeah. So, sorry. Do you have Do you have anything to interject on there? Or? Yeah, dovetailing it back in also uh, into the instructive historical purposes, right? Mm-hmm. Into uh, the theological purposes, because that's threaded through uh, with the tension, uh, as we mentioned, of sinful people and God, and that's why too. Um, yeah. Throughout, you have these. Uh, what would you call them? Kind of these big signposts these big pieces that hold it together according mm-hmm. to some views of scripture uh of the covenants that god makes right yes. and this actually ties in at the same time to an important mantra we've been chanting around well okay not chant uh an axiom we've been purporting that sounds a lot better <laughs> uh that the bible isn't written for you uh it isn't written to you you're not the original audience it's written for it's you written though for you yeah right that would be another gordon wenham i believe oh gordon wenham you're on point today my friend <laughs> um so by the way uh, Gordon Wenham, uh, you know, excellent Genesis uh, guy. If you uh, want to do some further study, anyway. Sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, he absolutely is. Uh, yeah. Gleaned a lot from him. Um, yeah, I was getting to the to the point about the yeah the tension between sin, God. Oh yeah, the covenants, right? Yes. So and that's where we were leading. Is all these things are funneling into this Abrahamic covenant, right? And so covenants, uh, we'll explain even what that means further and deeper as the series goes on, but with the fact that the Bible is not written to you, it's written for you. Well, you have the Adamic covenant first, the covenant between God and Adam, and then with Noah, then with Abraham, and then later on with David. And that really sets the stage for Jesus and the new covenant. Um, that's the context that yes. it's embedded in. Yeah. Uh, you cannot understand it without understanding these prior covenants and God's way of relating to his people. Um, but th- this is where it gets uh, really relevant for today, right? Uh, God speaks, he makes promises in his covenants. Um, and you get so many times, though, again, if you scrap the whole and focus on the one little parts and run with it, uh, you could take some verses, maybe more so in the New Testament, about God being faithful to his promises. His promises are yes and amen in Christ. All mm-hmm. this wonderful stuff. Uh, but if you don't understand what promises he actually made, it's useless to you. And it could actually be worse than useless. It could be harmful. Uh, here's a little anecdote for you. When I was a kid one time, I went with my dad to the grocery store and when we got in there, he said, uh, I said, I, you know, I was begging him, can I go look at the toy aisle? And what I thought he said was, 
oh, sure, you can get whatever you want. So I ran excited. I beamed it right for the toy aisle. I found something. It was a stupid little toy that I don't know why I liked it. I'm like, Dad, here, uh, thanks, Dad. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, you said I can get whatever I want. Apparently, I misheard him. He said, uh, you can look, but you can't get anything. <laughs> so I misheard my dad, and I was so crushed. I'm like, no, you promised. But yeah. sometimes, you know, we can miss understand the promises and think oh great i can get whatever i want now god's gonna bless it he's gonna give it because yeah. he's made these promises but you know like imagine a little five-year-old trying to hold his dad accountable to a promise that his dad never made it's not gonna work how's that gonna work with god um and we make a big deal about that sometimes we don't even miss hear god sometimes we don't even yeah. hear him to begin with so to speak we don't even actually know what his specific promises are in his word well that can make a mess of our life spiritually when we're trying to hold God to promises, uh, treating his promises like a madcap where we get yeah. to insert the meaning for ourselves. Um, but no, the, the Bible from the beginning, that's why Genesis is important, actually sets forth the promise of, of God, how it relates to salvation, how it relates to him making a people for himself, for his namesake in this earth, yeah. despite our sin. And that's better than some stupid little toy you can get in the toy aisle. Yeah, for sure. Um, closing, uh, closing, uh, questions I want to leave our readers with, um, cause we, again, um, we said that we are doing this podcast, not just to provide information, um, you know, to bring stuff from, from commentary to, to people's ears, just to, to give them more information, you know, head, heart and hands mm-hmm. we mentioned, but, um, we really do want you to get into the word for yourself. So start reading Genesis and Maybe um, just with some of the stuff that we've laid, talking about how it's pointing to uh, Israel covenant, God's covenant with his people. We see the redemption story. Um, just start peeling back some of the worldview that you're carrying. Um, you know, we've we've kind of noted that maybe, um, or, or maybe we didn't. I can't remember if we did, but I'm going to note it now. Um, Genesis is not a story of human origins per se it's it's a story of this relationship and redemption and um it's theological it's theological right so 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 one thing that um that would that's really helpful and it's really hard to do in the 21st century because we've uh we've had the rise of science and evolution is to just kind of peel back that scientific lens um that creation lens and just let the author speak uh for himself um, and just and maybe even just note those, uh, I mean, if this is how I would do it, I would just take those points and I would start reading and trying to see, trying to keep them in the background as I go, you know, how could this be pointing towards covenant, you know, mm. taking things a step back. Cause it's really easy to get really focused on the text, like to get too narrow. Right. Yeah. And honestly, uh, make a good practice of asking questions, write your yeah. questions down, keep them, uh, this might be an uncomfortable thing, but sit with your questions, right? Let them percolate within you. Uh, that will be valuable for you. That's going to drive you to read further, to study further. Uh, but if you just dismiss them, if you want to answer them right away with some, I don't know, if you're too quick to answer your questions in a sense, uh, you might actually be doing yourself a disservice as a reader of your Bible. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Well, listen, this has been the first of our Genesis series which will be the first series of the Pentateuch series. Mm. Old Testament series, New Testament. We're going to be here for about 300 years because that's about how long it'll take to do it. So if you're committed, stick around. We'd love you to go down, subscribe, and uh, quite seriously, though, share this podcast 
with someone if you think they'd benefit from it because we really are here to to help and we want people that are looking to get into their bibles on their own better that's the that's the audience we're looking for yeah um, to that end give us your questions send us some send us yeah. your concerns push back interact with us we're not gonna that's that's what uh, that was my other yeah. point that i was gonna say too is use that uh, comment bar down there if there's something that you want us to bring up maybe and let's just try and keep it focused on genesis because that's where we are or the pentateuch that matter we can put it on the, the back burner but if there's questions that are itching your ear about genesis uh, how to read it or there's you know particular issues that you've found yourself stuck on send us a message and we'd gladly bring it up in an episode yeah mm-hmm. so uh oh and also brad if uh, people want they can uh, they can go down there's a little link that's going to be below for coffee.com and if you want to give us a coffee tip it'd be greatly appreciated that the uh, link will be down there thank you yeah and we'll see you on the next one see ya genesis ep1 Benito. <laughs>